today on Geek the Mean Powers. Image Comics, um, I submitted to them 40 times and they oh, they rejected 40 times? The yeah, same 40 thing? times. Same thing, and they rejected it 40 times, yeah. How can you submit the same thing 40 times? Uh, because I just kept sending it in. I would just... They said I, no, and you send it again, and they said Yeah, no. and I'd send it, I'm like, no, 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 and I'd send it again and again, and so uh-huh. eventually I was like, okay, they're just not going to take it, but then, <laughs> but then uh, I kept submitting it to other publishers, other companies, nothing was working, and you know, the grand total of rejections was 157 times. That's how many times people said no. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and you are listening to Geek Them Empowers. Geek Them Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people, it is us, who make up almost all of the geek world by talking to each person, by hearing their stories. Geek Them Empowers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge Geekverse quilt. I'm beginning to feel, by the way, that people are understanding what this is, and I'm beginning to feel a few... Uh, a few people are beginning to talk to me about that and how cool that is, that, you know, that we highlight people in the geek world who are not highlighted. I'm glad people are getting it. I'm glad this is connecting to people, you know, and I'm trying to find out really special people who uh, who have special stories and also that are different. I usually don't know the people who I'm about to uh, interview. Uh, And yet, sometimes, often, you can tell just by the fact that you can see the work that they do. And today, I have another special episode for you. We're talking to Jingjian, who is an indie comic book creator. And yet, his story is unlike anyone we've ever heard from before. And quite possibly, unlike anyone you've ever heard of. I will spoil nothing, nothing. Look at it like a story. It starts off like everyone else who are trying to make it, in this case, in indie comics. But there's a twist somewhere in the middle, a big, big twist. And then towards the end, there's an even bigger twist. So if I were you, I would listen to all of it. It is an amazing story of perseverance and success, of sticking to doing the thing you love and believe in. I will spoil nothing. I will let you enjoy this episode. Let's begin. What are those? Can you talk about the stuff behind you before we start? Oh, yeah, that's um, that's Onimusha, uh, the game series. That's um, Akechi Samanosuke, who is, um, or he was the nephew of Mitsuhide, who these were all actual people who... Uh, you know, we're living during the warring states. Um, and his uncle is the man that um, betrayed Nobunaga at Hanoji Temple. And um, he was contemporaries of Ron Maru Mori and um, uh, Hideyasu Yuki and all these, you know, really historical figures that played a part in what were going on. And then those are my Gundams. Um, that's like part of my Gundam collection mm. right there. So it's an anime 
um, the really popular came out originally in the, the late 70s and then they've made so many more of them um, they're all really great that, but that's not my stuff that's just the stuff that I, I like yeah but you know tell us a lot about you know the stuff you like uh, yeah I mean I, I do enjoy it it's it, it's funny because both Onimusha and Gundam they they both are very much a uh, focus around characters connected to things that were um, happening with people who were in positions of power and and corruption and all of uh, the things that kind of go on that we we see in in the real world. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just you know I learned more in civics class watching Gundam than actually sitting in civics class. That's how. <laughs> like what, for example? I, I've seen Gundam but a long time ago. Like what? Like um, just the way it helps you to. Uh, to put into perspective, you know, how powers trying to gain the upper hand can sometimes come across like, oh, you know, we're trying to do the right thing. We're these decent people. And really, it, it shows you how uh, that is not always the case um, when it comes to these things. And uh, just the way they present it, it's just really interesting. Okay. And when did you start becoming interested in those kinds of things, like in specifically in, uh, you know, the Japanese uh, art and uh, manga and uh, anime and all that stuff? Um, actually, I grew up around that stuff. Uh, part of my family is Asian. And so growing up, um, I was used to seeing things that you would not, especially at the time, had seen in a, a household that way. I mean, there, there were, there were times where if you're old enough, you and I can vividly remember, you know, manga and anime, it was not always accepted the way it is now socially. It was something that it, you would find it in certain comic shops, uh, Asian markets, but it wasn't like a predominantly accepted form of entertainment, of reading. Uh, so for me, it just was something that I was I was always around, um, and I actually I actually prefer Korean and Chinese comic books over manga. I prefer the manhwa. That it, for me is is uh, it, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's really beautiful. And you look at the uh, like the great great you know look at people like Hong Tae Kim and Andy Sato and Wing Shing Ma. Um, just amazing artists and storytellers and great, great uh, series that they've worked on. So I actually, I, I don't know, as you said this, I realized I don't know any of the Chinese and Korean uh, comics. Can you talk a little bit about like what they offer, what they have, what makes them special? Yeah. Well, a lot of them, they're, you know, centered around uh, things from their culture uh, legends and, and myths. Uh, a lot of it is focused around martial arts, but the theme of it is the way that it looks. It the, They look like painted works of art. Every page, every panel, it, it has this, um, it has this appearance that it is, it's beyond the standard of westernized uh, comic art. Um, a lot of comic art that's out today, especially professionally, um, 
I, I don't know. I mean, it's different, but I, I don't think that that, I don't think that's the, the catalyst for something being the only way to do it. Um, but you look at the, the Asian and the European market and it's always been way more advanced um, and, and way more ahead of the curve politically and socially than uh, even where Western comics uh, stand. So it, it's kind of a, a give and take, I think, on, on both parts. Mm. And can you read them in the original Chinese or Korean? Or no? uh, uh, some of them, they're just printed in English. Um, a, a little, like, there will be some parts where sometimes it's the logos or the title that still is in Chinese or in Korean. Um, you know, and I, I dabble with some of that, but not as much as I used to. Um, but, you know, they're, I mean, they're just beautiful books. They really are. I'll check them out for sure. But uh, Oh, yeah, you'll like them. Yeah. And um, so I'm trying to, to get your origin story. So you grew up surrounded by, uh, by Asian uh, art and comic books. Mm-hmm. And what was the next step in your evolution? Um, I always enjoyed stories, fantasy, you know, mythology. And I always wanted to tell stories the way that I wanted to tell them. Um, just my own take on them. And I just... I remember seeing a lot of the comic books that just um, very heavily influenced, they're just superhero books and I don't really read superhero comics. Um, it's just not my thing, but I can appreciate what they, what they mean and, and how they've impacted uh, Western culture. Um, but it really is just not, um, it's not something that I'm, I'm into, and so I think about people like Professor Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and George R.R. R. Martin and Tetsuya Nomura and Homer and Shakespeare and all of these individuals who have had such a profound effect on literature, on entertainment, the way that we uh, digest stories, the, the way that we do things. And, um, and that really, for me, kind of solidified how you can go about telling stories and how you can you can develop things and to turn it into something more um and and so I started working on my own craft and and uh I always enjoy drawing um and and I just started working on things and you know here we are uh 30 years later uh And these stories that I had started writing and working on evolved and, and turned into the things that they are now, um, where they are, you know, the, the graphic novels are, are out and I'm working on the third volume. And uh, it, I mean, it's been picked up to be a TV show and there's an action figure line and It just all these things I never thought would happen and now they're they're happening yeah wait we'll get, we'll get to all that the TV show and the, the action figures but I want to get like 
when when did you start doing say comic did you start with comics or did you start with something else no i stopped well i wanted to do animation um yeah. but i you know i grew up really poor i couldn't afford to go to to go to school for you know uh for anything like that and um and so i just started you know working on my own stories my own ideas like that and i remember i had gone through a few different story ideas and then uh in 1994 i started uh writing what is symphonic verses it was originally called destiny um but then after i had been working on it a little while uh it, it became symphonic verses and and then i just continued to create and write and design everything for that, that I, have to, i have to get i have to go step by step so you, Working on it means you wrote it, you wrote and did the art for it. What did you mm -hmm. do? Yeah, I, I yeah, I created it. I wrote it. I came up with the storyline, um, designing the characters, drawing them, and and it just kept evolving. It just kept growing into something bigger as I kept working on it over the years. So, what did you imagine in the first? Like, why did you pick that story? Um, originally, because I so I love. I love stories about um, artifacts that can affect people, uh, but then things that can draw out the the other side of uh, you know human human emotion. These these complications that can arise between uh, people and individuals and um, love and and darkness. Uh, what makes these things complicated but beautiful? Um, and so. Originally, Destiny was about these two twins um, and these swords of power, but uh, I then changed it uh, a, a little bit where it wasn't about um, the twins that way. They were still part of it, but then another character was added to it, but the swords of power were still part of that. And um, then I just built on it like a, like a stepping stone, mm -hmm. uh, and I kept creating these these kingdoms and the places where they live and their backstories and why their families were noble why their families were the ruling powers uh what made them different from other people uh to be able to be in these positions and and those steps just kept they just kept going until uh it it just bloomed and it like came to life in a another way And did you did you feel like the reason it grew was it because you felt you need to did you need to fill those holes or maybe you started getting some uh, responses from readers and you said oh that thing I could do that and I could do that it's a cycle of uh, having readers or was it something else no at that time there there wasn't um, anyone who was reading it I just it, it was like. As that world came alive more, I knew I just needed to keep, I had to keep creating, I had to keep expanding on, mm -hmm. on what was happening. And it felt like uh, this bridgeway between um, reality and fantasy, this kind of cross section of these two points were, were starting to just um, collide. And I was right in the middle of it. And, um, and all I could do was just keep building on it. I get it. I, I like 
I finally heard the way you see the story. I finally heard that, so I got it. Uh, so you, you wrote uh, the first version, and how did you, or did you try to get this out to people? Like, what happened next? Um, so as the years went on... Um, and how old were you? Oh, I was... I think the first Comic Con I went to, I was like maybe maybe 18, maybe 17. And this was like, you know, maybe 25 years ago. Um, and I just, back then, there were no print-on-demand companies. They didn't exist like they do today. Uh, so printing was very expensive. And so I was having to take um, take the black and white images that I had and print them off at like a print store. And then I had to just fold them and staple them together. And I took copies of that and I took it to a, a um, actually it was an anime convention and uh, it was small, went there. Uh, and amazingly, it like was selling like crazy and they were just black and white sketchbooks. It was, you know, it, the, nothing was fully done, but I knew I, I had to start showing something. And so I did that. And then um, I started making like color poster prints of the main characters. And I would take those to shows and those would always sell out. Every show I went to, they would completely sell out. And I knew that I had to be able to get the story out to people, but I was I was determined to make sure that the that the art and the story were at a level that they needed to be at, that they were they weren't where they were. Um, and it took a really long time to develop the style that it that it has now. Many, many, many years of practice and trial and error and failure and I kept trying and trying and trying. And then I started submitting it to publishers and everybody said, no, everybody. I mean, except Marvel and DC. Huh? Did they, give you, did they give you a reason why they said no? That? Oh, well, some of them did. They said, because it's, it's, it's too, it's too manga-esque. That was sometimes the response. And I'm like, they weren't saying I did something wrong. It was just way too different. So they wouldn't touch it. And so I kept submitting. I kept saying no. And the, I, and amazingly, uh, Image Comics, um, I submitted to them 40 times. And they, oh, they rejected 40 times? The yeah, same 40 thing? times. Same thing. And they rejected it 40 times. Yeah. How can you submit the same thing 40 times? Uh, because I just kept sending it in. I would just... They said, I, no, you send it again? And they said, yeah, no. and I'd send it, I'm like, no, no, no. And I'd send it again and again. And so uh -huh. eventually I was like, okay, they're just not going to take it. But then, <laughs> but then uh, I kept submitting it to other publishers, other companies. Nothing was working. And, you know, the grand total of rejections was 157 times. That's how many wow. times. People said no. They said no. I'm How not. did you have the strength to 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 keep sending things? You know, most people you get ten rejections, you get so disheartened. You get one rejection, 
you get disheartened. How how did you have the inner strength to do that? Um, it it just what I have learned over the years is that um, if you really love something, you you have to be willing to take the hits that come with it because it's going to happen. There there are going to be there are going to be people who they're going to not believe, they're not going to support, they're going to try to discredit you. Um, and all I knew was that I had a story that I wanted to tell. I wanted to tell it. And um, I just had to keep going. I just had to, in the first, yeah, like the first 15, 20 rejections, it, it was bad. Like, it, you know, it makes you feel bad. Like you're like, you're you're failing in a really terrible way but then after that as i just kept sending them out and again and again and it was like they said no and i was like okay i'll send it again but this time i'll show the different pages instead of the pages that i showed and they say no okay well i'll go back to that but maybe i'll unveil a little bit more about what's happening here and because there are so many things that I never publicly show with the books uh, because I believe it, I don't get to take that experience away from the reader. There are things that I want them to see and experience, and they have to do that on their own by reading the book, not because I've plastered all of the pages all over social media. Um, and so after all the rejections, and it kept getting rejected and it kept getting rejected. I decided I'll just publish it myself. And so- Can, can I stop you just a second before? Oh, sure. Self-publication. Because not only are you getting rejected, you're also getting rejected for being different and for doing something that looks manga, which means Asian. And you're a man walking around with an Asian name mm -hmm. in the U.S. while not looking Asian. My grandmother's Chinese. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, not, so I mean, that's... The experience, <laughs> the experience of, of feeling different mm -hmm. must be a big part of your childhood. Um, mm -hmm. it, I mean, it is, because it is. I mean, it does make it where it's, it's different. It's not, you're not just... Um, you know, it's, it's not like, it's not like I look like for so long, so many of the comic creators that you would typically see, uh, which were typically, you know, white males. Right. Um, and, uh, and it, it's, it's different and it's different when people are telling, you no. Know, not because you did something wrong, just because it's different. Yet, mm. yet they all say, oh, well, you know, we want to bring out something different. We want to bring out this next, you know, generation of great creatives and storytelling and blah, blah, blah. But if that was really the case, then why didn't they accept what I was doing? They didn't. They didn't because they thought it was too it leaned too far one way. And the amazing thing is that if you actually look at the actual pages, it doesn't look like a manga. Um, it actually looks more like a Chinese graphic novel uh, as opposed to a manga, but that's, they all, they, they just, they assume it's all the same thing. 
and and they just kind of sum it up into that. And so, uh, you know, being a creator of color, uh, that was, you know, that was challenging and it was for years. Yeah. My point is that it, it, I can't believe that, you know, I'm imagining myself in this and I, uh, it would have any rejection because it's different because it looks Asian would have, for me, brought me back to my childhood. And, you know, when people no doubt would have said that I'm different, uh, which must have made the rejections harder to cope with is what I'm saying. And like I said, in the beginning, it was very difficult, but then you realize you, you know, you have to, you have to rise above those, the way that people perceive things that are not accurate, because if you know that what you're doing and what you're trying to present to people is something that is unique, uh, I think about what Stan Lee said in that, that real famous video where he talked about how the editor didn't want, you know, told him Spider-Man was a terrible idea. And, and he's like, if you have a good idea and you genuine, genuinely believe it's a good idea, don't let some idiot talk you out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of that same talking point is, I knew the vision that I had. I knew what I wanted to do. I saw how Western comics were done and the things I was trying to do, they, it's like, that's not where their thinking space was. They do things one way and it's, and they limit the way they do it with some of these, you know, uh, especially with a lot of the bigger companies. Um, but I knew that what I was trying to do, it didn't exist. Not, not here, not in that form. And, and, um, and so I had to just, I had to just keep going. Um, and it, there were days I was depressed. There were days I was, you know, uh, down in the dumps about it, and, but you just, you have to just keep going. Yeah. Okay. So then we get to self-publication. Right. So then um, decided to self-publish it. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what will, so, you know, how it will go. So, uh what I started doing was I started planning for months how I could present it uh, like to sell uh, because the whole time online, I was just showing artwork and like clips of things. And, and what I found is that as you find creative ways to engage with people, it is a very difficult thing to get people to believe something that is not based on something that everybody already knows. It's not something that they're familiar with. You have to take this whole new world, all new characters that no one but you is familiar with, mm -hmm. and you have to try to make them familiar and comfortable to other people so that they'll turn around and say, hey, wait a minute, I like that. Let me, let me see what that's about. And, and so I decided what I'll do is I'll open pre-orders and I'll sell them in collector sets. And I had already been selling at the shows I was doing. Nowadays, you see a lot of companies doing box sets for their comics. I was doing that when no one else was doing it. 
because I wanted to give people more. I wanted to give readers more than just here is a book, buy it. No, I wanted people to have an experience, something that would stick with them. And so I had decided, well, I'll do it in these collector sets um, and I'll offer different tiers of the collector sets where you can get the book and a poster, you can get multiple posters and bookmarks and uh, the ultimate edition had a wall scroll, had uh, 30 posters, it came with the soundtrack, all of this stuff. I found a composer who actually worked on uh, arrangements for Castlevania and, and for a few other films. We spent two years getting the soundtrack completely. Wow. Really? Um, wow. Two, you spent two years with a composer? With the yeah, uh -huh. yeah, getting the soundtrack written and composed for, for the graphic novel. And we, I mean, every song, all the main characters have their own themes. The series has its own theme. And then music is, accompanies each of the very important pivotal moments in the graphic novel. That it's 20 songs all together. And I offer it as a digital download. Uh, and to this day, I still get messages from people who say I still listen to that soundtrack on a regular basis. Wow. Uh, the composer, uh, his name is Mike Roberts, very, very talented uh, guy. And so... Um, so we did that. Then I opened the pre-orders. I didn't know what was going to happen. Next thing I know, um, oh, well, let, let me, let me go back just, just a bit because this ties into that. I, I set out to do the self-publishing, but then, um, I meet the people from Hollywood and that's, that was a, that was a turning point in for, for everything. Hold on. What, when you published your first ever thing, you, before, people approach you from, before you published it? Before I published it. How yeah. did they find you? Who, who, like people from you mean a production company? Yeah. So, um, I was on Facebook and uh, I saw this, I saw this post and I was like, well, that's interesting. I wonder what that is. And I had taken it to a different, I had already tried to submit it to another film company. Um, and they were like, we'll look at it, but you know, it's, it's too big. It's, it's too, uh, it's, it's too large of a scale for something that, that we could do. I was like, okay. And so then um I met the the uh, the vice president of development at the film studio, the Global Genesis Group, and um, he saw this picture of Adonis that I had posted because Adonis is the main character, and he said, "I'm going to give you my number um, to the office." He said, "I want you to call this number at exactly 3 p.m. on Monday." He said, mm -hmm. "Exactly." I said, "Okay." So I looked up the time zone difference just to make sure I, I wasn't missing anything. And so Monday rolls around and I call. And mind you, the book is not out yet. It hasn't come out yet. I call uh, and it was exactly at 3 p.m. The They put me on speakerphone. 
he was like, hey, you're here, you're on speakerphone, the board of directors is here, the president of the film company is here. I was like, wait, what? And I had no idea all those people were going to be there. And I hear the president of the film company, he said, okay, you got 30 seconds to pitch it to us. And, and I was like, okay. And I just went into it, 30 seconds. I, I did my spiel on it and it got real quiet. And I was just sitting there and I was like, okay, I don't know what's, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to go on. And um, they were like, okay, we like it. We're going to give you a TV deal for it. And I distinctly, I will never forget this. I was holding the phone and I took the phone away and I looked at it and I was like, am I, is this like, am I dreaming? Am I being like pranked by somebody? This, this can't be possible. A movie studio said yes in 30 seconds when 157 publishers said no. A movie studio said not only do we like it, we'll give you a TV deal for it, you'll be an executive producer and one of the lead writers on the show. So then they give you Hollywood credits with it then everything is so i'm just like wait wait a minute this this can't be this can't really be happening and yet it was and so then i got the tv deal and i was like okay now my work it, it was still it wasn't like it was something that was known and it was everywhere so then i do the pre-orders put the book on sale on the website so many orders came in it crashed the website two times and the bandwidth had to be expanded um like both times to account for the amount of traffic that was coming in to order the book and so wait, 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 wait. i have to ask you about that like mm -hmm. Obviously, people liked the quality of the story and they really connected with it. But that's not enough to crash a website. How did people get to hear about it? How did you because, get people to know about it? Be, uh, see, so after I got the, the TV deal, and then remember I was saying I, I spent months figuring out how I could market it online, how I could, I could show it. And so I used Facebook, I used Twitter, I used Instagram and I every day, multiple times a day, I was sharing it in groups and people who had got the, the prelude. So if you pre-ordered the book, you got the prelude as a PDF. Mm -hmm. A lot of people got it and then were showing it to other people. And then those people were like, hey, I, it's only four pages, but I need to see more of this. And so they, they just started coming in in droves they just started more and more people started paying attention to it and they started to like it they started to um to say how they understood the the themes of the story the love the darkness the the impossible hope all these things that we we can know in life uh hurt and and revenge and and disappointment and loss of love and, and being powerless to things that we cannot change and yet that's what people it was resonating with people in a way that i 
I didn't know. And I didn't set out to make TV shows. I didn't set out to, to be fa famous. I just wanted to tell a story and I just wanted to share it with someone and hope that they liked it. That was all I was trying to do. And, and next thing you know, the book sold and it sold and it sold out and it sold out. And I've not used Kickstarter. I've not used Indiegogo, none of the social platforms like that. And the book has sold almost 5,000 physical copies because there are no digital versions except the, the prelude, which is just a PDF you can get for free from the website. Everything else is a physical graphic novel. Um, and so volume one, volume two is out. Uh, I'm drawing volume three right now. It's almost done. It comes out next year. Um, but it just, it was like all of a sudden, all the years of hard work, all the years of disappointment, all the setbacks, all the, everything that could have happened, all these other things started to be the mirror opposite of those those interactions where now here it is with a Hollywood studio, uh, the, the readership, and it wasn't just in the United States, people from Canada, from Singapore, from Japan, from China, from Germany, from Austria, Ireland, England, all these, all of these places, that's, that's where the readership was coming from. And so uh, to this day, I still ship books all over all over the world uh, to readers. And um, it, it's, I don't know, it, there are most days where it still feels like I'm, I'm in a dream and that I'm not, that I'm not awake, but that I'm dreaming that all these things are happening. And yet this is the reality. This is, this is where it is. And, and it's like, I tell people all the time, um, it's not because I've done something unique. It's really, at the end of the day, this will always be my stories. These will always be my characters, but it becomes something different because of the people who believe in it. It's because of the readers, it's because of the fans. And then you share that experience with them of seeing this idea that you had all these years later develop and turn into something that has its own life now. Uh, and it's alive and, and people read it and they share it and, and they tell their families and their friends about it. And, and it's like, I get messages from readers who let me know how the book has impacted them, the way it's, it's, you know, it's made them, um, do evaluations of themselves, of their lives. Um, it, the book in part it's written to help people who suffer with depression, with PTSD, people who struggle with these things. And, and it's like, now it's this, this experience that I, words don't really do it justice um, as, as to the way it has affected people and the things that have happened. Um, and, and I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful every day that, that, I, get to, that I get to share that with them. An amazing story, an amazing for an artist to get that kind of accept, uh, acceptance from uh, um, the audience in a way that you know they just 
accept you, they just like it, they, they want more. It is, it is amazing. What happened, by the way, with uh, uh, the TV show? So, uh, so then uh, with the TV show, um, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time for that stuff to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Well, we started on production uh, in tw- because it's gonna, it's going to be an anime. And we started working on it in 2019. And then, of course, um, COVID hit in 2020. And then it just... So everything got, you know, it got pushed back. And so um, we are, there are things that I can't announce yet, um, you know, but I've talked to the executives at, at the movie studio and things are happening and they're moving in a positive direction so we can get everything back to where it was so we can, we can get everything uh, ready and, and present it to to the, uh, you know, the world to be able to see. Uh, so it's just going to take a little longer, um, but then it will, it will be out. And then in the meantime, I'm still working on uh, the, I'm still selling books and it's like, I can show you. So um, this is volume one. Closer to the camera, closer to the camera. Okay. So that's just... volume one. Yeah, I see mostly black. I can't. Yeah, all the so the covers are these dark, uh, these dark motifs that represent what's happening in the story. Mm-hmm. And as each cover goes, the the design aesthetic is very um, baroque and it's uh, very gothic, and it evolves from cover to cover. Um, and plus, I use I make my own backing boards. I make uh, these black custom backing boards because it fits the the design of the artwork more as opposed to just a regular backing board and uh all the graphic novels are magazine size so they're eight by eleven um i never wanted to print comics that were like the typical size it always seemed too constrained so i use this size um to to print it so this is volume one um this this is volume two Um, And as you can see, there's like more of red in it, but the design has changed uh, a little more as to the skull, instead of it being turned, it's now facing, but it's lifted here and it's like crying bloody tears and the roses have exploded. And now there's this face coming down and kind of like this ghostly aria presentation of what's happening in in the story. So that's volume two. And uh, this, this is the volume three prelude, um, which readers got a physical copy this time while I'm still waiting to finish all of volume three. And so these are the, the books that are available and I can actually, um, let me see, I can show you one second. show you like what yeah see like wow it's impressive so and that's special it looks like special paper right it's not ordinary. yeah it's yeah it's real glossy it's um it's uh 80 pound glossy paper um and you know i'm real particular about 
the paper that I used and, and the, the printer that I, I work with is really, really amazing. Comics Wellspring, um, they, they have like the best, in my opinion, they have the absolute best printing quality. Um, and I never, I never want readers to get something that is subpar. I always want them to get things that are better and better and better art-wise, you know, the, the next stages of the story. Um, and, you know, it, it just, it amazes me the impact that, that this has had on people. Um, there are people who have messaged me and said how they've cried. They cried after reading volume two um, because of it, it's, it's such a personal accounting of what's happening in the prince's story and, and the, the tragedies that he's suffering through. Um, and, and what you see with him as Adonis is making these choices, you see him falling further into darkness and he's surrounded by people who aren't really his friends. They're people who serve his family's empire, yet they are not really looking out for what's best for him. Uh, and he's dealing with his own personal loss and his own tragedies. And, uh, and, and it just, it, there's, there's so much that's going on in, in the story, but it's really human emotion set in this very stunning fantasy backdrop uh, where these characters are, are trying to make sense of the things that are going on um, and trying to overcome these impossible situations. It also looks to me like you take great care in going, not overboard, but going big on the stuff around it. So you did music and you did covers like no one else and you use glossy paper to do that. You take care to, to, to surround the entire thing with something really, really special with many really special things. Yeah, I mean, I think that's important because if people, people could take their time and their resources and spend it on anything, but if they take the time to use it on something that you've done, it's, it's my responsibility to ensure they get a quality that is, that is unmatched for what they're, for what they're paying for. And so my, I, it's like, I just don't want quality of art and quality of story, the quality of music, the, the way, you know, the TV show, the action figures, which the, the, the company that is producing them, they're making the whole prototype line, prototype line right now. Um, they've done the Prince Adonis, they're making the concerto figure. Um, next is the Sapphiros figure and then one of the Shadow Knights, which the Shadow Knights, uh, they're, they're one of the, the villains in, in the series. They're, um, they are a class of warrior that exist as a race of warriors. That's, that's how they are. But all the Shadow Knights, their faces are all covered by mask. And the only one who you can see the eyes on is the leader. And his name is Gaius Malfecium Ipetus. Uh, and besides that, you do not see what they look like. Um, and, and so uh, there are just all these things where it's like, I, I know for a fact that in before there was Kickstarter where people, people could do these packages and 
these different tiers. Those are the kinds of things I was already doing, but I was doing it on a very limited budget, but I was doing those things because I wanted people to have more. I wanted them to be able to have something that was more than just a book. It's an experience, but it comes with posters and flyers and music because why not? Why limit it to just one thing when you can give people something really significant? And and I think that's important. I, I really do. Amazing. And how, how do you see like the future? Like TV show, movie, you keep producing. Do you have an end to, to this line? Um, I, I mean... Sorry. Ultimately, it's like um, I want to, you know, I'll, and I have other stories that I'm going to publish um, that have, it's funny, the movie studio, they've picked up three more of my other stories. So I, I have four TV deals altogether and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to gain more of them as I go so that there is more exposure of what I can, I can present to people to be able to view and, and hopefully entertain them. And um, it's all in the same universe. Yeah, it's all in the same universe, just different time period, yeah. different characters, but everything is connected. All these things from bloodlines to artifacts of historical events that affected certain things, they all cross paths throughout these stories uh, because the world where this takes place is called Levi Samenos V. And that means to be under the influence of sleep. And so... It's like when people open these books, it's, it's as if they're not sleeping, but they're not awake. It's like you're in a place where you're right between those two realms. And that's where this, that's where this exists at. Mm. Um, and, and so ultimately, the goal is to just keep creating content um, that people, you know, will hopefully continue to enjoy. And that's... It, it, it sounds to me like like uh, you know I, it's my theory but I think I know why they picked you and you know why they chose why they said yes in 30 seconds so first the guy heard about what you're doing and then I pitched it and then you pitched it and then it was 30 seconds I think they saw a chance to buy uh, a universe that could contain multiple TV shows multiple movies, toy line like they said we can create a whole universe in this like it sounds really if it sounds good if the story is good we can do something really big with this because it's unique and it's different from all the other universes there are it's not Lord of the Rings it's uh, not the MCU it's different it, it is its own thing and and I I mean I'm just appreciative um that they could see the value of what I was trying to do when so many other people couldn't. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, and when I tell, and I, I tell this story about all the rejections and the stuff happening. And I, and I think it's important to do that so that people understand if you work hard enough at something, you, you fight for your dreams, you don't give up, amazing things can happen. Things that you never thought could happen can happen if you just are persistent, if you just stay with it um, and, and really take the time to create stories that are impactful for people, not just, oh, I, I wrote this book. I have the first two issues. 
and then nothing else. Then there's no other story context. Mm. Uh, they don't know when another part will happen. And, and it's important to really hone your craft, to really know it, to know that world, to know those characters, and then present it to people in an engaging way, not just say, oh, my series is on Kickstarter, go, go support it, go this, go that. No, no, anybody could do that. But if you take the time to say, hey, what if these things happened? What would you do? How would you deal with these set of circumstances? And you help to, to draw them into what you're doing. Once you get them connected emotionally to your work, they'll stay fans of it forever. They will believe it forever because now you're sharing that, that interaction. And that's really what it's about. It's not just, oh, here's my book. I put it on there, buy it. This guy did the cover. Anybody can do a cover, but it's what you put into it. It's, it's literally that you're, you're the essence of your own being that you have to pour into everything. And when you do that, I think that helps people to, they, people pick up on that. People are very much aware of something that is really genuine, not just, oh, you know, I threw it together in a couple of weeks and here it is. And I, I expect you to think it's great. No, you, you have to, you have to really, really give people something um, that they can, they can connect to. Those are really, really great parting words. Thank you very much. Where can people find your stuff online? You and Twitter and Instagram, everything. Uh, yeah, if they go to Google, if you type in symphonic verses, um, which is the Cyrillic spelling of it with an X, X-I-M-P-H-O-N-I-C space V-E-R-S-U-S, there's the website, the Facebook, the Instagram. Um, it's on Everypedia, which is a Wikipedia page. They mm -hmm. contacted me and put it on there. Um, it, um, it, it's like, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, oh, it's, a, it's, um, oh, it's, I think it's called book, book media or ebook media, something like that. They have, they have the books listed on there where you can then follow that link back to the website. So it's, it's on many, many places online, um, and I'm on all the social media regularly. So if people message it or have questions, they can send them in and I'm happy to, to answer them at any time. Thank you so much to Jing. That is a truly amazing story. And I hope you loved it as much as I did. Check out what he does. Uh, we've got links to the website, his Twitter, his Instagram, his Facebook, all in the show notes. And next time, because there's always a next time, we go to an author with a unique voice that you've probably never heard of. So stick around for that. Now, what did you think about this episode? Email me at guy.hasson, that's H-A-S-S-O-N, at geekdominpowers.com. The website is geekdominpowers.com on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're at geekdominpowers on YouTube, where you can find live episodes of uh, the episodes you've been enjoying. We are geekdominpowers. And if you want to check out my other podcast, the Squash Buckler Diaries. That is an experiment in epic fantasy. Feel free to check it out. The Squash Buckler Diaries. I will see you next time. And for now, have an empowered day.